Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. It began with a Sunday Times investigation and ended with the mother of all apologies. Tim Davey, the current director general of the BBC, was having to apologise to the Queen for this. I mean, stories don't get much bigger than that. Last October, the Sunday Times revealed how BBC journalist Martin Bashir had used fake bank statements to secure his landmark interview with Princess Diana a quarter of a century earlier. It sparked a series of new inquiries. The rehiring of Bashir is bizarre. He was repeatedly fired amid scandal from a succession of jobs. There is a terrible irony in all of this, that he starts his BBC career on songs of praise and ends it as the BBC's religious editor and in between perpetrates one of the biggest crimes in the history of broadcasting. This week, after an in-house inquiry, the BBC exonerated itself for rehiring Bashir five years ago, saying they didn't know then what they know now. Is that enough to draw a line under the scandal? Or will it continue to have far-reaching consequences? It's not the end of the story. He is unique in that job of Director General, Tim Davey, in the 100-year history of the BBC. He is not a journalist. He is ill-equipped, in my view, to run the BBC. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Bashir, Diana and the future of the BBC. Do you think Mrs Parker Bowles was a factor in the breakdown of your marriage? Well, there were three of us in this marriage. So it was a bit crowded. Order, order. This is the Digital Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee and this is a special hearing into the work of the BBC in the light of the Bashir scandal. On Tuesday, MPs gathered to question current and former BBC bosses. Let me um, start off by saying, if I might, to, to acknowledge um, how hard this has been for the royal family, for the two princes... Uh, and I'm sorry for the for the hurt uh, caused. That's Tony Hall, BBC Director General from 2013 to 2020. I'm almost speechless at the idea that anyone at the BBC could be found to have faked documents by a senior manager, that information then passed on to yourself, and then they're not face instant dismissal. That is absolutely crazed. It's completely against the ethos of the BBC. He appeared to us at the time that he was contrite, that he was inexperienced, that he was out of his depth. He ended up in tears, saying that he understood that he had made a mistake. 
we decided uh, that uh, we would give him a second chance because he was so contrite. I'm sorry, my, my jaw just dropped there when you said about whether or not he was sorry or not. It's like, you know, this is the, the potentially has, has been described as one of the scoops of the century. And it's, it's found to have been attained through fraudulent means. And you're more concerned about whether or not he's sorry or not. <laughs> this isn't just a, a failure of management, it's a failure of morality. The Diana interview may have taken place 26 years ago, but many MPs think the BBC still has a lot to answer for. And starting this week, BBC directors have launched a review to identify any defects in current editorial processes which could allow mistakes made in the 1995 Panorama case to happen again. I worked for the BBC for 17 years, including as an investigative reporter. Former colleagues tell me they're outraged by what Martin Bashir did. But now they're also worried that it could have a chilling effect on investigative journalism. We'll have more on that later. But first, a look at an investigation that succeeded. We originally broke this story, the Sunday Times did, back in October Rosamond Irwin is a senior reporter at the Sunday Times, and this was her scoop, along with her colleague, Nicholas Helen. She takes us back to how it all began. I had been contacted by a whistleblower at the BBC, an anonymous person. I got this email out of the blue, and the person was raising concerns about the way this interview had been got. And I, I suspect this has weighed heavily on this person's conscience for a long time. It's interesting because I deal a lot with whistleblowers. It's the first time I haven't known who the person is. You didn't know the person who came to you? No, an anonymous email account, Mm. completely anonymous. Obviously, it meant we had to check every single fact because I couldn't rest on the fact that I knew who they were and I knew their job. I mean, they could have been anyone. They could have had a malicious agenda. As it was, they were correct about everything and they clearly didn't. It was pretty exciting getting that, actually, because it sounded like there was this great mystery that had never really been solved. It said that it had been reported at the time but that it had gone away and it had never really bubbled up in the way that it should have done. And the immediate thing I did, and all credit to our archives team, I immediately went to them and said, look, could you dig out? There were some stories at the time in 1996 about the way this interview had been got, so about six months after the interview ran. Could you dig them out for me and so I can have a look? That's where it sort of built from. Mm. And so you realise there was this big scandal here that had gone away And the reason it had gone away is that the Mail on Sunday who broke this story and then all the other papers had never been able to prove that Martin Bashir had shown Earl Spencer those forged bank statements in the discussions that they had before Earl Spencer introduced Martin Bashir to his sister, Diana. And that was where the story got stuck 25 years ago. That's how it all came into being. And then obviously it snowballed to become this absolutely enormous story. Ross's investigation last year resulted in a judge-led inquiry into how Martin Bashir, then just 32 and a relative unknown, had managed to get his much-coveted interview with Princess Diana. The Dyson report concluded that Bashir deceived the princess and her brother using fake bank documents to convince them that people close to her were being paid for stories by the media and that Martin Bashir was one of the few people she could trust. 
It also found that a BBC investigation into the affair at the time had been very badly handled. Do you agree with Lord Dyson and his conclusion that your investigation was willfully ineffective? We didn't get to the bottom of the lies that uh, Bashir um, uh, had told us. Lord Hall, it's really very hard to believe that you were once thought of as a safe pair of hands. Having presided over the BBC Equal pay cover-up, the pensioners' TV licence fiasco, and now this scandal, don't you think perhaps that a forfeit of some of your lavish BBC pension would be appropriate? Uh, 25 years ago, um, myself and everybody believed Bashir we made a mistake. But please don't let that colour the other things that I've done. The rehiring of Bashir is bizarre and, of course, is the subject of an internal investigation, which, again, is very unsatisfactory. That's Tom Bauer. He was a producer on Panorama, the programme that aired Bashir's interview, until 1987 and was an investigative journalist at the BBC until 1995. There's no doubt that Bashir's return was viewed by people who knew all about his past with bewilderment because after he left the BBC in glory, he went to America, he worked in England, in Britain, and was repeatedly fired amid scandal from a succession of jobs. So it was bizarre that of all jobs he should be re-employed as a religious editor. This wasn't any old rehiring. This was the talk of the newsroom at the BBC. People were wandering around saying to one another, can you believe it? Martin Bashir's back and as religion correspondent. That's the MP and former BBC journalist John Nicholson questioning ex-Director General Lord Hall on Tuesday. And you knew nothing about this. Come on. Uh, Mr Nicholson, um, I... uh... I ask you to just consider the number of things that come across the desk of any director general. And yeah, but this is in a different this is in a different scale, level, and importance. This is Martin Bashir. The idea that you were unaware of this and not closely involved with it is just implausible. Well, I was not involved in the rehiring of of Martin Bashir, Mr. Nicholson, as yesterday's report makes clear. Yeah. Well, the report the reports a whitewash. Uh, I, I, well, I, 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 I don't think it is. Bashir was not rehired because of some sort of cover-up. He said that was entirely unfounded. If we knew then what we know now, then of course he wouldn't have been rehired. I think by now, the rehiring of Bashir will be blamed on people who've left the BBC. The real issue is that the people who remain inside the BBC, who in October and thereafter have collaborated to continue the cover-up and distort what happened 25 years ago. Those people don't do the BBC or the British public any service. Do you think heads need to roll? Obviously, Martin Bashir has already left, but do you feel like more has to be done? This is the key thing why Dyson is not the end of the story. The position of Tim Davey, Mm. the Director General, appointed last August, he took over. Tim Davey has never made a programme in his life. He is not a journalist. He has absolutely no experience with politicians. And therefore, he is ill-equipped, in my view, to do the reforms, the programme reforms, the content reforms, and fight the battle which is necessary to save the BBC. 
Could the BBC be under threat? And what does Martin Bashir have to say about it all? He appeared to be quite a broken man. That isn't particularly surprising in the circumstances. A few weeks ago, Ros went to meet Bashir. He'd been signed off sick from work for several months, and the BBC said he'd been seriously unwell. It was the first time he'd spoken since the allegations were published. He did appear to be very upset about what had happened. I wouldn't quite go as far as saying he was entirely contrite about everything. I don't think he could cope with how big the story had got and that Tim Davey, the current director general of the BBC, was having to apologise to the Queen for this. I've spoken to a lot of people about him, obviously, over the, the past uh, six months now, particularly people who'd worked with him at Panorama, and they said, you know, he'll charm you. I didn't find that. When you spoke to him, he had been at the eye of a massive media storm, front-page news on every newspaper for days. How did he look? Uh, reduced. So he obviously says he has been unwell. He has got a catalogue of health problems, he says, starting with him having developed COVID last March, so a year and a bit ago. And then he says that in December of last year, he had a heart attack. Were you surprised that he was willing to talk? So everybody deserves a right of reply. And to me, this is really important because I questioned how on earth I could interview someone who'd been found to be a liar, according to the Dyson report. And I struggled with that a bit. And I thought, well, the thing is, as a journalist, you always, when you're writing about somebody, a news, a news story, and you're reporting something, you go to them and you ask them what they want to say in reply. So it's a very important bit of journalism to do that. And this was his chance to put his case. I would say that one thing about this interview is that he was surprised by how categorical Lord Dyson's findings against him were. So I think that's why he particularly distraught. I think every strong woman in history has had to walk down a similar path. And I think it's the strength that causes the confusion and the fear. Why is she strong? Where does she get it from? Where is she taking it? Where is she going to use it? One element of Martin Bashir's defence is that she absolutely wanted to give an interview. Now, it probably wouldn't have been to him without his slightly mm. questionable methods here, but she would have given an interview to someone. And, and you can see that because Prince Charles had spoken to Jonathan Dunwoolby a year earlier, talked about his marriage and, in fact, infidelity and the state of the marriage. So it did make sense that she was going to give this interview. It is my view that the deceitful way the interview was obtained substantially influenced what my mother said. But what saddens me most is that if the BBC had properly investigated the complaints and concerns first raised in 1995, my mother would have known that she had been deceived. Would it be your wish that when Prince William comes of age that he were to succeed the Queen rather than the, prince, the current Prince of Wales? My wish is that my husband finds peace of mind and from that follows other things, yes. Watching it back now, I mean, in the reaction to, to this story, you know, people, including the Duke of Cambridge, have said this interview should never be shown again. It portrays a false narrative. Watching it back now, knowing what you knew, do you think there's a value in, in showing bits again? Yes, I do. I'm a journalist. I generally think 
things shouldn't be taken away from public view. You know, she was there willingly. I can see that the argument around the deception sits, but to me, you're kind of taking away a bit of her agency by removing it. Now, obviously, for him, I can see it would be a very upsetting thing. I mean, Princess Diana talks about trying to kill herself in this interview, and mm. she was very depressed while pregnant with William. And that is quite an extraordinary thing to admit. And so I can see why he would feel that. And I have, you know, the utmost sympathy for anyone who loses a parent incredibly young. What I would say on that, though, is does feel a bit to me that that now there's a whole bunch of men still talking about her, but not mm. really listening to her. And this was her having a voice. Now, I think the methods by which this interview were got are completely and totally unacceptable. But I do think, given that she wanted to give an interview and this is the one she gave, it has a value that remains. With the account of these forged documents, these bank statements which showed payments going to people around Princess Diana, which raised enough suspicion for her to want to talk, there was actually an internal investigation in the BBC at the time. Tell me about that. Yes. In fact, there were sort of two investigations, one kind of low-level one, and then one carried out by Tony Hall, who goes on to be Director General of the BBC until last summer, who was then Director of News and Current Affairs, and a woman called Anne Sloman, who doesn't work for the BBC anymore. And this one's the one that really matters, because that's where Tony Hall says of Martin Bashir that he finds him an honest and honourable man. This investigation effectively clears Martin Bashir, but the shocking part of it is that they never bothered to speak to Earl Spencer. They didn't try to contact Earl Spencer at the time. And that's why it went away, because they said, oh, no, nothing to see here. We believe Martin's account without actually questioning the other main person who could have contradicted that account. And what did they make at the time of the fact that these documents had been mocked up? Well, they believed Martin Bashir's line that they weren't instrumental in gaining the interview. They were still dishonest. I mean, was that not a worry? Well, it would have worried me. Um, yeah, quite. You know, this is the madness of it. So his defence initially was that, well, they weren't used to get the interviews and, and they were just a sort of graphic. And at the time, I should say that BBC told other journalists back in 1996, this is, that, oh, no, this was used on a separate investigation which obviously wasn't true. From everything you can see of those investigations, would you conclude that there was a cover-up? Yes, categorically, mm. yes. Uh, and, and let me explain why. So, John Birch was Director General of the BBC at the time, and Marmaduke Hussey was the chair. And Marmaduke Hussey was married to one of the Queen's... Well, was married, he's, he's dead now, but he was married to one of the Queen's ladies-in-waiting, who is still mm. alive. And... He was an establishment figure, and John Burt wasn't an establishment figure, and the two of them had butted heads a lot on various issues. And there was a suspicion Marmaduke Hussey wanted to get John Burt out, but he, they certainly did not get along. Now, Marmaduke Hussey was not informed about the Diana interview going out until sort of the 11th hour. I mean, it really was incredibly late in the day. There was a lot of uh, tension at the time between yourself and uh, Duke Hussey, wasn't there? as chairman of the yes. board. They were, they were quite strained, those relations. I'd had an excellent relationship with the chairman of the BBC over the best part of 10 years, but it had deteriorated over the previous year. It became more and more difficult and unreasonable, and he had 
and everybody knew it. Very, very strong views about the royal family and things I would not repeat about his views about Princess Diana. So I had to, the hardest thing for me, and which I clearly remember, um, was having to decide what to do about that. And in the end, I decided he would be told essentially seven days before transmission, but not before the interview, because I judged that if he were told, he would, uh, he would frustrate it, and that would have been wrong for the BBC. That was a very difficult decision for me, and in making it, one that I said to my wife at the time, I expected that I would lose my job on the back of it, but I thought it was... Uh, it was the right decision. And so he could have gone back and said, look, you got this interview, you know, this massive interview, using incredibly underhand means. And therefore, he could have used it to swipe an entire set of people out of the BBC, that bit of the hierarchy, because all these people were tainted by this. They all knew to some degree, or they should have known, if you sort of mean. At that point... The cover-up basically made it go away. And I mean, that is why Tony Hall, even now, has had to resign from the National Gallery, where he was on the board. In terms of people defending Martin Bashir at all costs, did they genuinely believe him? Or was there a sense of, we just can't let this get out? I think it's a mixture of the two things. I think people wanted to believe him. And one of the things that I'd say about interviewing Martin Bashir is that I think he... and and. Other people have said this to me too after they read the interview. There was someone who's, who was on Panorama at the time and he texted me and he said, I think Martin Bashir believes his own lies. And I thought, yeah, I can see that argument that he's come, he's come to convince himself that what he's saying mm. is the truth because the alternative is, is pretty horrible. You know, to acknowledge that you've done something this wrong... And this was the defining moment of your career. You know, he builds his career off this interview. So I think that's what's going on. I think people wanted to believe him. And the degree to which they did, you know, that's that's for them to know. And the headline of, of your article about that interview said that he can't bring himself to admit he wronged Diana. Did he show any signs of remorse or regret at this stage? Yes, he said sorry. And it was sorry more to Princes William and Harry than anyone else, because clearly they responded quite powerfully to all this. It's difficult because the sorry's always seemed caveated to me. He was very keen in this interview to stress that Diana and him had a friendship after the interview went out. He did stress that Diana had come to see his wife after she gave birth to their third child in the hospital. So as evidence that she was clearly still... Yeah, that they were friends. ...happy about the interview. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And and one mm. thing I think genuinely does make him sad is that this interview has now been totally overshadowed by the way it was got. And actually at the time, what she was saying, talking about mental health, talking about her bulimia, these things were revelatory. You know, it was, it was not just that these were headlines, but also this actually helped lots of people who were suffering from similar things. There were really important elements to this are obviously being totally forgotten. In the Dyson report, you know, he does raise, I mean, he's damning about Martin Bashir's credibility and his honesty, really. I mean, he does talk about him, his account being incredible and unreliable and dishonest. How did Martin Bashir react to that? He, he sort of said he didn't want to create new sort of fronts in this fight, you know. He was careful 
not to sort of sound like he was attacking Prince William, for example, in his statement. And and I think the same with Dyson, that, you know, he says, well, I have a different account of things. But he wasn't willing to go and fight it to the degree that he could have done, perhaps because it was so categorical in its findings. There wasn't much wriggle room, really. Is he accepting that he's a dishonest man? No, he's not. He doesn't accept that. But was he willing, really, to fight it? Not, not really either. And the other thing is, he wanted to stress that he felt he had been redeemed by his last four years at the BBC, where he's obviously covered religion. He feels that he's shown that he's changed as a person in that time. And he sort of says, let other people be the judge of that. Coming up, could there be a lasting impact on the BBC? Hi, this is Tom Whipple, and I'm the science editor at The Times. Thank you for listening. By doing so, you enable me to keep pace with the rapidly changing developments in the coronavirus pandemic and more. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one free month. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since the Dyson Report was published... Questions have been asked about the credibility of the whole of the BBC and its future. This is probably a one in a hundred year occurrence of having a rogue reporter who's willing to be deceitful on this scale. That's Lord Burt, who was the Director General of the BBC when Martin Bashir's interview with Princess Diana was broadcast, giving evidence to MPs earlier this week. Lord Burt, your, um, your hallmark, uh, if you'll forgive the expression, was and always has been rigorous, fact-based, analytical journalism. It, it must therefore be gutting for you that the biggest scoop of your period as editor-in-chief was secured through deception. It is. And of course it shows a failure of the editorial processes that you established. It, it, it does, it shows a weakness in them. Anybody in the future who sees warning signs about a lack of personal ethics in any colleagues has absolutely got to run up the flag. From now on, anybody's going to look for tougher standards of corroboration than we'll look for 25 years ago. I think the BBC will bounce back because it's got brilliant journalists. You know, I'm not one of those people who has no time for the BBC. That's Rosamond Irwin from the Sunday Times again. This is a historic problem a bit like Savile was. These things reflect a time when this organisation wasn't well run, I would argue. I do think the organisation is different today. I hope that they look at this and put in place measures that mean it's not going to happen again. Well, Panorama in the 70s and 80s was an amazing place to work for a television journalist. And that's Tom Bauer again. We had remarkable freedom 
to do stories anywhere in the globe, around the world. We had a big budget. We had not only freedom of travel, but freedom also of ideas. And so we were trusted. The panorama of those days was the gold standard of television journalism across the world. Tom worries that a golden age of investigative reporting, which has already been dimmed by falling budgets, could now be lost forever because of the Bashir scandal and the BBC's failure to investigate it. Here's more of that Parliamentary Select Committee from earlier this week. I just want to talk about the the general ethos and the culture of the BBC, and and I worry about uh, public perception. Here we are, you know, uh, after Saville, after Bashir, after accusations of bias from all sides. MPs are grilling the current Director-General, Tim Davey. We've had, for a long time now, this feeling that perhaps the BBC is complacent. It has a smugness. The BBC, as a corporate identity, seems to be protecting itself, keeping the status quo, uh, whatever the cost, and no matter who the personnel are at the top. Would you agree? I take your challenge, but I do think we're a bit better in terms of if you went round now and talked to the leadership of the BBC, you talked to the top managers of the BBC... There is a programme of reform. I think your points are actually valid, that we should be thinking about how we safeguard trust at all costs. I, I, I would say that, that your job is harder now because uh, I, when I worked for the BBC, it had enormous power and huge trust. Uh, I would say that's been eroded and you have a very hard road ahead of you. That in October last year in 2020, Tim Davey was asked why he continued to deny access to more papers and that Bashir had behaved badly. And he replied that looking through the files, they believed that Martin Bashir was honest and honourable and didn't lie. Obviously, he was ill-equipped to handle the Bashir scandal. The Bashir saga has exposed the shortcomings, where the weaknesses are and what has to be done. The thing that makes people love the BBC is not the ruddy news. <laughs> the news is a boring programme. We all know it. And in their desperate attempts to make the news watchable, they've stooped to tabloid tactics, and that is going to destroy a corporation that is loved for the drama and comedy and documentaries it's produced for decades. And Martin Bashir may have unwittingly been the executioner of the BBC. It makes me uh, very angry and bitter. Um, but it had to come. Many people, particularly at the moment, say that actually the, the BBC, the best of what it does is about drama and comedy and sport, and perhaps news should take a, a, a back seat. Yeah, I've never heard that suggestion from anyone, to be honest, who's credible. The heart of the BBC is the news and current affairs. I mean, that is the cornerstone. The problem is that it has completely fallen foul of that remit. So... To reform that, to cure the BBC of that problem, is to get the people out who can't perform properly and put people in experienced, mature journalists who know how to deliver the remit. In a way, the best of the BBC has always been the investigations, the original journalism it can produce, and it's how you justify its existence, because it has the space, the capacity, the funding and the expertise to be able to pull those journalistic scoops off. Do you think there's a danger that what the Bashir affair will do is actually kill exactly that, or at least sort of make it much harder for journalism like that to happen? I mean, I was at the BBC as an investigative journalist for years, and I, I remember after Hutton, or after more recently the Cliff Richard story, you know, every time there was one of these big investigations, 
the culture inside the BBC seemed to become more risk-averse. Is there a danger that this might end up creating an even bigger problem in the future? You're absolutely right that all these crises do make the BBC risk-averse. Risk-taking, the risk is vital. The BBC, in my experience, has always faced a crisis. There's always been something which has come up where it has caused trouble because, by definition, the BBC, whether it is drama or comedy or creates sensational headlines, it needs to be self-confident. And that is what I fear. The Bashir saga has not been properly handled and will once again erode the tender and slender self-confidence which still exists, if there is any. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Sunday Times senior reporter Rosamund Irwin and former Panorama journalist Tom Bauer. The producers today were James Shield and Chris Hemmings, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please do leave us a review. It'll help other people to find it. Thanks again for listening. Have a lovely weekend. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.